Well, um, we've been talking a, a lot for these weeks leading up to Easter about uh, King Jesus' journey to the cross. And you know, what does that mean for us today? And today we're going to look at Mark 14, the story of how Peter disowns the king. And uh, right before this conversation in Mark that we're going to read with Jesus, the disciples are sitting you know, in the upper room at the Last Supper at this table, and they're having, they're having the Last Supper together before they journey out to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is then uh, caught or brought, captured, <laughs> uh, drug from the garden to uh, Pilate. And so Mark 14, I'm gonna just start out by reading this, and I love this in the message. So the first part of this, I'm just gonna read uh, this passage. We, we're gonna go through quite a bit, and I'm gonna read it as we go through it. Um, but the first part, I'm reading out of the message, and it says in Mark 14:26, they sang a hymn, and then they went directly to the Mount of Olives. So they, they're done with the supper, they're coming out. Jesus told them, you're all going to feel that your world is falling apart and that it's my fault. Uh, and then he says, he quotes something out of Zechariah. There's a scripture that says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. But after I'm raised up, I will go ahead of you, leading the way to Galilee. And when I, when I read this passage over and over and over and then looked at it in different translations, it started to actually reflect so much of um, often kind of what I see and even sometimes what I feel that when our world is falling apart, it's so easy to blame God. Um, it's actually easiest. You know, is, isn't it true that oftentimes when bad things happen, uh, you know, the first thing we do is like, what's up, God? You know, I'm, I'm just trying to serve you here. And I know for myself, I seem to believe that, you know what, if God can do anything he wants, why doesn't he do what I want? <laughs> like, I've been asking him, you know, to heal this person, or why doesn't he keep the bad things from happening to people that I love or, or people, you know, it, it, that are in my life? And I mean, he's, he's God. Like, since he can heal, how come sometimes he doesn't? If he can heal, you know, why do I have to be sick? Why do people that I love have to die? And if he is like the king of kings and the lord of lords of all creation, he's the one who gets to judge, why doesn't he just draw his sword of righteousness and swing down and cut some heads off? The, the evil people is what I'm talking about. <laughs> I mean, he's righteous. Well, why doesn't he just judge some of these idiots? You know, why doesn't he do what I want? And, uh, you know, people that are online posting, uh, and Michael made a comment in his preaching about posting online, and I had, to, it was the first time in my life I said amen out loud in church. I was like, amen! He's like, way to go, sister. You know, but, but it's like, I, I just like feel like people are kind of stupid online sometimes, right? And they criticize and they undermine people. And I'm like, why do they think that I want their opinion? <laughs> why, why, why do they think I, that they need to be heard? You know, uh, you know, why doesn't God just protect us all the time from hurt or from harm or from like evil intentions or bad people? Why doesn't he do that? And so because of our circumstances, 
we kind of look around, <laughs> and then oftentimes we just, you know, like, especially if we're, you know, used to going Godward with our problems, you know, one of the first things we do is, why didn't you let this work out differently, God? I mean, you can. I know you can. And so, you know, we, we blame God. And sometimes in the middle of all that, we just start to doubt God's goodness. And, you know, right behind all of those, you know, a slew of questions about why God doesn't do what I want him to do, then I start to doubt. And, you know, is he really a good God? Like, is a good God, is he, is he really good all the time? I mean, why do bad things happen to good people? And even the, even the closest, what's interesting in this passage is Jesus is talking to, you know, his disciples. And he's like, guys, your, your world is going to fall apart and you're going to say it's my fault. He saw that. He saw that in them. And even these closest followers of Jesus, the disciples, find themselves, uh, you know, doubting God. And, and then we have that enemy that lies to us. So the basis... Uh, you know, the jumping off point for all of this blaming and this doubting towards God is it's really Satan's plan to, to sabotage our relationship with God. And un unfortunately, <laughs> it, it often works when we change our mind about God based on some of these lousy circumstances that we see. And, and God, you know, Satan actually uses circumstances to manipulate our view of God. You know, circumstances, they're just like simply a, a part of this broken world that we live in. <laughs> Come, Holy Spirit. It's either God or Satan. I can't decide right now. He doesn't like it that I said that about him. But it's like if you give, you know, the enemy an inch, he takes a mile. I mean, he just, whatever works, whatever works. It's, it's how he tests us and how he torments us and how he intimidates us with lies about who God is. And, and you know, does he really love me? And, and how he can't be and do all the things that the Bible teaches. And then we have this, uh, what I see it as is sort of like this threshold of resilience and, and when things aren't going well and we start to blame God and doubt his goodness and the enemy is lying to us, it really starts to weaken our resilience. <laughs> and so it, it's as if we have this sort of threshold and every lie that the enemy tells us is just sort of like this sledgehammer, you know, coming against our resilience. And, and he chips away, he beats down our faith and he beats down our belief in God. And here's what is so fascinating about this whole, you know, ugly reality is that Jesus knows that that's going to happen in our hearts. He says to the disciples, he knows that when the enemy lies to us, when the pressure comes, when our circumstances are bad, and he knows that, you know, our circumstances are going to scream at us, God doesn't really love you. And he's not a good God. And Jesus knows, he knows that threshold of our resilience even before we know it. And I think he knows how to take us 
You know, he, the, the enemy knows what's going to work and, you know, what's going to weaken our resilience and, you know, how the enemy will use those things to try to take us out. And, and Jesus is committed to making us stronger and wiser and more resolute. And you know how we learn that? Doggone it if it's not from our troubles and our trials. And, you know, every one of them, and learning how to turn to God over and over and over and say, what is the truth? Who are you? Who am I? Uh, Who do you say that I am? Every time we do that, we're practicing how to build our resilience against the enemy. We're practicing that, you know, we learn through these troubles and trials that God is good and that he does love us and that circumstances can't change what's true about the God of the Bible. So let me tell you some of Simon Peter's trials and testings. And I, for years, have felt like, man, I identify with this guy. You know, the, the whole mouth thing, he just blurts stuff out all the time. I, you know, I'm learning how to not do that and that it's not necessarily the best all the time. And, and so Peter starts out with these, you know, really high hopes. He met Jesus when his brother Andrew brought him uh, to Jesus. He had a very dramatic start when he began to follow Jesus. And he was a natural leader. He ran his own fishing business. Uh, he could be described as brash or very confident. Uh, he was warm-hearted. He was outgoing. He was easily uh, assumed command in situations that called for it. Uh, and one day, you know, the disciples, I'm, I'm just going to tell you a few things of, about Peter, kind of paint a picture of, of who he was internally. The disciples are discussing with Jesus what people are saying about Jesus. Uh, and, and they're saying, you know, that people are saying this about you and that about you, Jesus. And, and, P, and Jesus says to the disciples, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter, you know, he's, he's often the one to speak up uh, and blurt out what he was thinking. He says, well, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus, this is a passage where Jesus looks at Peter and he says, I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I love, I love that promise from Jesus and he speaks it right to, to Peter. And he also told Peter that you're gonna, I know you're a fisherman right now, but you're gonna become a fisher of men and call people into the kingdom, and, and uh, he's going to be this pioneer in evangelism and be very gifted in it. Jesus said, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And he was saying, like, you're going to preach the gospel. You're going to open doors of the kingdom of God for lots of people. People are going to hear it, and they're going to believe it because of your leadership and your influence and your life. So he was very bold and courageous, and he confessed Jesus as the Son of God. He followed Jesus, like, all the way to Jerusalem. And then Jesus reminds all of them in the next couple verses of Mark what the word of God foreknew. The, the word of God knew all, foreknew all of this. So he's quoting scripture in verse 28. There's a scripture that says, I will strike the shepherd, the sheep will scatter, but after I'm raised up, I'll go ahead of you leading the way to Galilee. So he's talking about you know, his death and his resurrection. And you know, I don't know, but I kind of picture sometimes that Peter might have been the guy that said things that he shouldn't have. He, he had this great deal of kind of self-confidence and, and pride. Um, for instance, you know, he's the one that when they're out on the lake, uh, 
and the storm comes up, and they're not sure if they're even going to make it to shore. And all of a sudden, they see Jesus walking on the water. And, you know, he's, Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't be frightened. It's me. Um, and Simon, I mean, I'm trying to picture this because it feels like a ridiculous thing to say. You have to ask yourself, why, why did he say this? Is it really you, Jesus? Like, tell me to come to the water. Tell me to walk on the water and come to you if it's really you. I'm like, why, why did he want that experience? I just feel like that's pretty bold. Um, all right, if it's really you, Jesus, then I should be able to walk on water too. And um, so Jesus says, sure, you know, Peter, I'll take, you know, what, if that's what you want, um, get out of the boat. And so Peter steps out, he starts walking on the water, and then he kind of looks around like, this is, this is awesome. You know, but then he looks at the waves, he looks at the wind, and he just sinks. He, he takes his eyes off Jesus, and he just goes under the water. And then I picture some sort of a rescue thing, you know. The, the miracle's over. Jesus has to save his life now. So he's like, pulls him up, drags, probably does some CPR, I don't know. Um, but he has to save this, this guy's life. And, you know, he says to him, and it's not quietly, this is like in the boat, in front of everybody, no, no HIPAA, no confidentiality here. Um, Jesus, and he did this, if you think about it, Jesus did that a lot. But he says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? <laughs> you know, to Peter. And kind of uh, just reality check. And he's, Peter's probably sputtering, like, can we talk about this later? I just about died. And, um, you know, so, and he's also like one of the guys that's always arguing about, you know, who Jesus loved the most. Uh, and so you're kind of getting a picture of him and, you know, his personality. And, uh, you know, another time Jesus is, this, this is shocking. He's talking to the disciples. He's explaining to them how he's going to be uh, put on trial and put to death on a cross. And they don't want to follow a crucified Christ. And this is not what they wanted. So... Remember how we started out saying, you know, why doesn't God do what we want? Um, this is not what they wanted. And so Peter takes him aside and he starts to rebuke Jesus. Never, never, Lord, this is never going to happen to you because we're here and we're not going to let it happen to you. They're going to have to go through me to get to you, Jesus. Right? And, and Jesus turns to Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. You're stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. I mean, <laughs> that to me is just like, I just, I like to put myself in the story, put myself in the shoes, and I picture Jesus, get behind me, Satan, saying that to, to me. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, um, it's, it's, that's scary stuff. You've already embraced it. This is the Son of God, and He's telling you, get behind me, Satan. But, G but Peter, like, he's just, he just keeps following Jesus. Some of us would have been like, I'm offended that you talked about that. I'm out. I'm out the door, you know. And so here we are in Mark 14, it's the Last Supper, just before Jesus is taken to the cross. And Jesus looks at Peter, and he says, Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So he's saying, he's predicting you know what, something bad's gonna happen. In fact, it's just in a few hours today. And, but when you've turned back to me, then you're gonna help strengthen everybody else. So Jesus knows that you know, this rough patch that he's going through personally and that you know, his, his disciples are going to um, fall away from him. 
they're going to run for the hills and, and pretend like they don't even know him. But then he looks at Peter and goes, but, but after all of that, you're going to turn back to me. You're going to be restored. You're going to minister, and you're even going to strengthen other people. So Peter kind of in this story digs in, and he starts to proclaim his, his loyalty. In verse 29, it says, Peter blurted out, even if everyone else is ashamed of you, when things fall to pieces, I won't be. And Jesus said, well, don't be so sure. Because today, this very night, in fact, before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. And then Peter blusters, it says, in protest. Uh-uh, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And then everyone else chimed in. It says all the others said the same thing. So they're all in agreement. But Peter is like, you know, very uh, boisterous about this. And he had this incredible allegiance to Jesus, so much so that he swore that he would never deny his love for Christ. And so I think as honestly as he knows how, he's, he's made this commitment, and he believed what he said. Like, he, he planned to stick by it. That was his plan. And he thought of himself, like, I am totally committed to Jesus. I'm a leader for Jesus. In fact, you know what? Some of these other guys, I'm not so sure about, but I'm, I'm the one, Lord. I'm the one that you, I'm just never going to let you down. It kind of sounds like a follower of Jesus that believes he has a lot of moral righteousness and even the ability in himself to stay moral. And, you know, he has this morally right thinking and behavior, and he's very confident of it. What this kind of highlighted to me is that we also proclaim a lot of loyalty once removed from Jesus to Christianity. Loyalty to Christianity. I mean, are we not hearing that rhetoric more and more in Christianity these days? Like, my thinking is right. You want to know uh, what Christian behavior is? You want to know my behavior is righteous? The flag that I fly is proof of what a true Christian is really all about. And it's said with such confidence. And many Christians today believe that loyalty to Christ is, is demonstrated in their political opinions, which has become an idol in their life. Instead of seeing God and their neighbors, uh, you know, rightly, we see Christians promoting, uh, promoting and you know, demonstrating something besides humility and love and listening and learning you know, with all kinds of self-confidence. Like, I'll tell you what God wants. And you know what? If we're caught up you know, spending more time talking about uh, you know, politicians, quite frankly, than the kingdom of God, then we, you need to, we need to connect some dots. The Pharisees believed, everyone believed that the Messiah was going to come and overthrow the Roman government. And that it was, you know, the government was oppressive. And that is what they wanted the Messiah to do. They wanted him to come and do what they wanted. But Jesus comes and he says, I've come to bring the kingdom of God. And it really has nothing to do 
with politics. I'm not using the government to rule and reign. I'm using my kingdom. I'm bringing a new rule and a new reign through the kingdom of God. So how is the things that we're hearing today politically that God needs us to use politics or government to accomplish his will? It's, it's a, I, I don't see the difference. <laughs> you know, that the, the, somehow there's this evil politician who God needs to overthrow and that there's one politician that God needs to install to exact his rule and reign. And by golly, the rest of you better get on board. You know, how is, how is it different than the Pharisees that said the same thing 2,000 years ago? It, that creates a tension for me, a struggle for me. And so I think Christians today are still saying that God is going to rule and reign through the local and federal government. It's the same message today and the same hope sometimes that we place in, in, in people instead of in Jesus. It's, it's kind of fascinating <laughs> that we haven't moved that far in 2,000 years. And then Jesus invites us to turn to the Father, and he does this with them. In verse 32, they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. This feels heavy. There's this heavy sense that Jesus is deeply distressed because he's contemplating, he's facing the cross. But what Jesus always models for us, instead of blaming God and turning away from him, he turns toward the Father. He goes directly to him in his distress. And I think this is one of those places where we see the humanity of Jesus so much because he was both fully human and fully God. He faces this utter pain and separation and suffering of the cross and he's desperately like reaching out for God for the grace to walk through it in humility and, and you know, I, want, I need to submit to dying for all the sins of all of the world and his submission like to walk through the unthinkable is remarkable. It's remarkable. And I've actually asked the Lord to do a similar work in me for a number of years. And the last year particularly, um, and some of it is because, you know, I didn't like having to go through the last two years. I didn't like being a pastor online. I didn't like, I didn't, you know, there were things that I felt resistance in myself. But I couldn't do anything. I mean, uh, these things I couldn't change, right? Uh, some of it is just uncontrollable external circumstances. And so I felt like I have to change. And so I asked the Lord to teach me how to submit to some of the things that I had to walk through. And in that, he challenged me to practice the discipline of submission. And so it starts out uh, simple and daily and goofy, like, no parking unless you're going into the memorial blood bank, you know, to give blood. And I would just park there before. And so I started to go, oh, brother, okay. I don't even think they're open. Okay, you know. <laughs> and I'm just going to submit. I'm going to practice the discipline of submitting. 
Uh, it comes out a lot in driving. <laughs> and, and it comes out in other places. Like every time I'm faced with not getting what I want, I would say, oh, discipline of submission right here, back pocket. Let me pull that out. Let me try it. Let's practice it. And I practiced it and practiced and practiced with little things so that when the big things came, I was actually a little bit better at it. <laughs> and I could submit to some of the hard things because I want to be like Jesus in this. I want to not resist the things that God is, is allowing me to go through so that, mind you, he can redeem it. Do you see that? Like the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, it redeemed it all, right? He just, like this amazing redemption. What are the stories of redemption that you see now after the last two years of suffering? If you look, you'll see that God is redeeming things and saying, here's something good that I did through that. Here's some, oh, what, you know? But you gotta, you gotta notice, you gotta look for it. You gotta, you gotta ask yourself, how is God redeeming some of the losses or pray that he does. I start by praying, God, please help redeem some of this. I'm gonna submit to it, but redeem it by the power and presence of God. Jesus, you know, he knew that we would be a failure at times at following him. And he knew that about Peter. He already knows all that about us, even, even when he calls us to follow him. And he still calls us to follow him. Yeah, that's, a, that's fascinating. I mean, he knew that Peter thought more highly of himself than he ought to, and, and he still said, follow me, to Peter. And he knew that when he first laid eyes on Peter, that this guy is passionate and exuberant and over-optimistic, and he's going to disown me three times, and yet he still calls him to follow him, like knowing that Peter's going to fail. And God does the same with us. <laughs> he, he, he knows. He knows, and he uses us anyway, and he calls us to do the same thing. You know, even if the transformation in us isn't complete yet, even if there's a, still a long, long way to go <laughs> as he changes our, our interior and our character, he knew. You know, he knew Peter not as he was, but who he would become. And so, He's looking at, at you, and he's looking at me. He's looking at us as who he knows we'll eventually become because he's in the picture. He's in our life. That's going to have a different outcome. Do you realize that Jesus has seen you in your next failure? Be kind of a cool game to play with God. Why well, am I going to blow it next? <laughs> Can you intervene? <laughs> There's never been a Christian who hasn't embarrassed God. I don't know if God feels embarrassed now that I say that. I don't know what he feels. Um, but he already knows our next failure. And he knows that really is all I have some days is my embarrassing self to offer him. And on the basis of, you know, what, what I have prayed daily for a long time is, apart from you, I can do nothing. Like, if you're not, you know, my faith is a gift of grace. And without the gift, I would have no faith. 
And so Peter becomes pretty broken and, you know, through failure and shame, and he comes to the end of himself. And Jesus knew all that right from the start, because to know Jesus is to have him know you through and through. He knows what and who he's making you into be, to be in, into the person he's making you. So he knows Peter, you know, better than he, Peter knew himself. He predicts three denials from Peter, and that's exactly what ends up happening. In Luke's gospel account of this night, he says the disciples were there with Jesus praying when the Roman guards came, storming in to arrest Jesus, and then Peter got angry at the servant of the high priest, and he impulsively draws his sword, and he cuts off the guy's ear. And I actually think he might have not been aiming for his ear. He, you know, he just ducked and missed or something. Um, but <laughs> what does Jesus do? He picks up the ear, he puts it back on, he heals the guy, he's right there. Now, that should have got someone's attention. Um, <laughs> and he rebukes Peter and says, put your sword back. <laughs> and uh, so then we pick up in 53 and 54. Then Jesus led to the chief priests where the high priest and the religious leaders and the scholars had gathered together. Peter followed at a safe distance until they got to the chief priest's courtyard where he started mingling with the servants and he warmed himself at the fire. And then in verse 66 and 67, while all this is going on, Peter's down in the courtyard. One of the chief priest's servant girls came in and seeing Peter warming himself there, she looked hard at him and said, you, you know, you were with Jesus you were with the Nazarene, and he denied it. I don't know what you're talking about. And he moves away from her. He went, he went out on the porch, and then a rooster crowed. And then the girl spotted him again, and she started telling other people uh, you know, that were standing there. He's brought, you know, he, she brings it up again. You've got to be the one. You've got to be the Galilean. You know, it's kind of written all over you. Peter had a Galilean accent, so that would have been conspicuous in Jerusalem. And then in verse 71 and 72, now Peter got really nervous and he swore, I never laid eyes on this man that you're talking about. And just then, the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered what Jesus had said. Before a rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. And he immediately just collapses in tears. It uses those words. So Peter melts under the pressure and all of his hope is deflated. And I think, boy, if that's, if that's not me, my mistakes so often deflate my hope. And, you know, because I'm thinking, I can do this. Like, have you ever been there, like, totally committed to not sinning, or I'm going to abstain from this substance, or smoking, or drinking, whatever it is that you want to, you know, break the hold of it on you, something that you, and, and then you actually do like the very thing that you never thought you would do. Yeah, and you know, one of the first things that we feel is hopeless. I'm never going to be able to do this. Like, have you ever tried really hard like to accomplish, you know, I'm, I'm gonna be the best parent that, you, that you know, you've ever seen. And then, you know, at the end of the day, you're, you know, you're a bad one. <laughs> by the end of the day, or you work really hard at work, you work your tail off, and you, know, you're, you find yourself that you just still didn't get the promotion, or you didn't meet your boss's expectations. Our best efforts don't, don't always take us very far. I mean, it's hard to admit that as followers of Jesus, 
we don't always want to do what Jesus is asking us to do. Sometimes I call that uh, a broken wanter. Like, I don't really want to do the hard work of learning to submit. I don't, I don't, I, I'm going to try not to depend on you. I think I can do this myself, right? And, and then we do the very thing that we never wanted to do because, you know what, we don't have the power to overcome those sins without the Holy Spirit. We don't have, uh, you know, the humility, our own pride, our own lack of, like, restraint, our own ability to, like, forgive someone or love someone. The way that Jesus asks us to, just sort of the bottom falls out. That happened for me this week. I just, like, the bottom fell out. I'm, I'm over it. I have no grace for this. You know, and I come crawling back to Jesus. And, you know, I think Peter's pride here is pretty, his, his self-confidence, his pride is punctured, and it's gone. And I think also that, like Peter, our word is not always that reliable. You think back on that promise that he made to Jesus, and he has broken his promise of loyalty in the same day just to save his own skin. <laughs> you know, I will die with you. Oh, no, I don't know him. You know, I've never even been with him. I've never even seen him. Have you, ever, have you ever thought about the integrity of your own word before? This is something, too, that the Lord has really been working in my life, um, very practically speaking. I don't think any of us are that great at keeping our, our word or following through without the help of the Holy Spirit. And breaking a promise the way that Peter did, it comes from, like, all the external pressures that we're feeling circumstances that we can't control, and then fear that we have. And Peter, you know, he feels the pressure. He has a lot of fear in this moment, and he just caves in. Like, have you ever been rejected by, you know, a spouse or someone that you loved or had, uh, you know, the child that you've been pouring your best parenting into, you know, embarrass you because of their lack of responsibility or their personal failures? Have you ever failed at being able to keep your own marriage vows? <laughs> Have you ever thought you were never going to, like not in a million years, do the things as badly as my mother or my father? I will, I will never be that negative. And then pretty soon, you're like the Geico commercial. You're just like your parents. You find yourself sounding like your critical mother or your critical father. I mean, you get stuck, right? You get stuck in the same stupid, like, addictions for years sometimes, 10, 15 years. And oftentimes when we're, we're facing that kind of failure, we just, it deflates our hope. <laughs> and we default to wondering, like, does God really love me? You know, how can he let me fail like this? And so we... we you know, we try to run on self-confidence, self-assurance, um, and usually until we, it works until we actually fail. So, you know, and these are the things that I think that sometimes God, well, you know, if God's not in it, I like the phrase, you know what, uh, that's all you, there's no Jesus in it, because you know, God says that to me. And... Um, Sometimes if, if, if God's not in it, then we just fall flat. You know, we just, we do not have the power to overcome sin. We do not have the power, uh, if God's not in it, to love well across differences. 
We just, we just, we just don't. And then God comes in his mercy, and we'll see this in, in Peter. He restores us, and he puts hope. And he says, oh, don't do that again. <laughs> Put your hope in me, what I can do that you can't do for yourself. Before Jesus went back to heaven and he left the disciples here, he had recommissioned Peter. It was at Pentecost that Peter preached, and, and he, then we see these amazing things. Uh, they walk on the beach. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus says it again, Peter, do you love me? Uh, and every time when he says, yes, Lord, he goes, well, then feed my sheep, feed my sheep. You know, this dialogue goes on. And the third time, Peter's annoyed. It says in scripture, Peter's like frustrated. Jesus, you know, you asked me twice, why do you have to ask me three times? Jesus didn't say back what I would have. You deny me three times, buddy. <laughs> so I'm gonna make you say that you love me three times. <laughs> no, that wasn't what Jesus did. But he does, it's very interesting. Three, 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 we see this. And then Peter, you know, is recommissioned, restored, and he, he preaches his first sermon at Pentecost, and you know that there was an incredible outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost that came when, when Peter preached. And his second sermon is followed by this healing of a, a crippled beggar. And then the third sermon, he stood before the Sanhedrin and he preached with fervor. And, and he's given this authority and power. He, takes, he, take, he can give life and, and take life away when... He stands before um, Ananias and Sapphira, and they lied about their giving to the church. And so, you know, he's got this incredible restoration after being the guy that, that denies Christ. He's also the, the disciple that had the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit so much that people were healed just from walking through his shadow. When, they, when his shadow fell on them, they would get healed physically. I mean, through, through Peter... The Samaritans receive the Holy Spirit, and he evangelizes whole cities uh, like Joppa and, and Lydda, and Gentiles receive the Holy Spirit through his ministry. And you know, he operated in such Holy Spirit power, he raises Tabitha from the dead. He's this, he has this very, very anointed and bold work and ministry, and he is that power evangelist and that patriarch of the New Testament. He ends up being a great great preacher, a great pastor, a beloved apostle, but not before he went to the cross and back with Jesus and embraced suffering and failure. And I think God could trust him more after all that. And so he receives those three recommissionings from the Lord and there's this you know, triple denial, this triple affirmation of his love, and then this, you know, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. It's like a triple recommissioning of Peter by Jesus. And Jesus restored Peter. I don't know where in that story you find yourself today. I find myself all over the place. And so some of us, I think, today need to just confess. Yeah, I'm trying to do stuff on my own. I don't rely on, on the Holy Spirit or my word. My word is not reliable. I cannot keep a promise to go get ice cream with my kids without the power of the Holy Spirit.
Why don't you guys stand? We're just going to stand in God's presence. And what I love about this part of what we do at the vineyard is, you know, I'm just up here, blah, 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 blah. But this part is so important because this is where you respond to the Holy Spirit. This is where you get to interact with God and be responsive people. And he loves that when we do that. So I'm going to invite him to come, and then one of the things we love to do is pray for each other. I know, it's odd that we do it right in the front. Some people, you know, put it in the back room somewhere, but I say no. I say that we need to know that it's normal to come and stand elbow to elbow, and that's family. That's what we do. We don't pretend like we're okay when we're not. We just come to Jesus. And so, uh, for those of you who pray, I'd like to invite you to come up. And um, our prayer team people are just like you. They're not professionals. They didn't go through. Uh, they don't have a master's in this. They just um, love to just bless what God's doing. And there's something powerful about saying it out loud. It goes deeper in you. It takes root. Um, there might be some seeds there now, but the Spirit it waters in the Spirit plants those seeds and lets them grow and nurtures them. So Father, we invite you and, and we want to respond. We invite you to even move close to us. Just acknowledging that you already know all. You already know our next failure. You already know all this about us. You still love us. You still say, come to me, and I will give you rest. I feel like the Lord is, is saying that there's some people here who literally walk around feeling like a failure. You're under the negative effects of your own failings. And that is not God's heart for you. That's the enemy. He sang that song, I'll never be enough. This you know and this you love. Do you know God is, Jesus is saying, listen, I'm already standing next to your messy self, loving you. It's okay. You don't have to be a good girl. You don't have to not fail. You don't have to, you know, there's nothing you have to do to let me love you. We're going to uh, worship a little bit more, and we do that to focus on the Lord, to engage, to respond, to even try to help ourselves not bolt out the back door too quickly. And during that time, I just invite you to move your feet from the stationary place that they are. Because the enemy, I mean, you can just start doing it right now if you want, like this. Everyone move. Because the enemy says to you when you're standing there, don't do it. Don't move your feet. Don't go up there. It's hard to move your feet. <laughs> just break that lie by moving your feet. And just invite you to come up. And we'll just ask, you know, what, is, what do you want from Jesus? What is he saying to you? And we'll pray with you. All kind, there's almost like too many things to name uh, that the Lord is doing in the, in the room. Come, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit.